Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, a very sad show, a very unfortunate show, but it's still your favorite podcast. It's the best sports podcast in the world, Teen It Up with CNV. I'm your host, Connor, as always with my co-host, Vladimir. Um, how's the morning going, brother? More well. Uh, woke up this morning, um, a little bit more pissed off than I was at the end of last night. Um, obviously, we all know what happened uh, yesterday. Lions with a with a performance. Let's put it that way. It was a performance in many ways. Um, other than that, though, outside of the the, the football world, nothing new. Nothing. I I, I don't even really want to sit here and give kind of the half-assed answers we sometimes do. I'll, I'll turn it over to you if some you do got something to share. But if not, I want to go right into the Lions. No, I don't have anything either. Obviously, uh, that's going to be the bulk of the show. The NFC Championship, our Detroit Lions. Um, go down to the San Francisco 49ers, 34-31. Um, obviously led 24-7 to at the half. They blew that. Um, there's a lot to talk about in the sort of fallout of last night. Um, I guess, what are your emotions off the top? I mean, this was like a, a true heartbreak city, especially in the moment. I, I think, like I said, when I woke up the, the best talk this morning, it was because I realized just how bad what happened happened. I, I think yeah. in the moment it was more of just like uh, living every snap as its own and just hoping something could happen. And then when I woke up and realized what they did in that second half or what they didn't do, it was it, I, I was so upset. Um, true tale of two halves. Um they played probably the best half of football of the season. I think the only one that even remotely comes close is maybe the first half of the Green Bay game in Lambeau, where I think we scored yeah. like 20 or 35 points or whatever it was, where we just came out and curb stomped them. Um, the offense in the first half ran the ball at will. Mm -hmm. um, Jake Moody donated three points to the program with a missed field goal. We got that tipped volleyball interception for a second week in a row which typically that, that kind of stuff doesn't go our way. And we had Dan Campbell make the, in my, what in my opinion is the only sensible call of the, of the entire uh, afternoon or night, what you want to say, in taking the field goal at the end of the half to make sure his team can go up by three point or by three scores. Um, yeah. I actually heard some criticism about that, that some people had a problem with the fact that that was the, opportunity that he chose not to step on their throat not to be motor city dan and obviously he did that that if you like basically that that was the spot where he was inconsistent with his aggressive nature and it's like i don't know at some point we'll get into more dan later but i, I don't know how you feel about that i thought that was quite ridiculous um i mean i actually understand i understand the criticism from from a principal standpoint if you're built on oh my god high octane grit pedal to the metal i only know eighth gear at 2000 miles an hour then yeah you should be get you should be mad at him for not going for that because like you say that goes against everything he's claimed to have done but right. like as i say i agreed with it going up by an extra possession i've said it countless times when we're talking about certain games where teams just maybe forget one possession an extra possession isn't just one point at times it's the difference between 16 and 17 is not one point Difference between 16 and 17 is 10 minutes of in-game time because they got to go score on you and they got to get the ball back from you. That I think it was absolutely the correct call. Mm -hmm. Now, if you, wanna, if you if you want to argue the consistency and or lack thereof between what, 
for what is it? I absolutely agree that there is there is an argument to be made, but I, I liked it. I liked the call. And then the second half, I know you have more to say about that. Yeah, uh, the second half, I'm actually a little upset. I, I know I texted you this. I, I wish I could have gotten your kind of genuine reaction because I think it was a great analogy. So for those who haven't heard, there's been a lot of talk about Boeing planes over the last couple months. <laughs> and what happened in that second half is like when the door blows off and the engine fails and you got a software malfunction, so your autopilot goes to shit. And it turns out that that entire time, your pilot's drunk. That's what happened to the Detroit Lions in the second half. It was systemic failure from top to bottom. Um, yeah, I mean, I can go a million ways. I'll kind of let you, I'll let you share, share some of your thoughts, and maybe you can kind of give us a direction of who to rip apart first. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know where I want to start as far as the second half goes because it goes in – all three dimensions and the three dimensions I think of obviously offense, defense, and just, I guess, big play getting bounces luck category, I guess. Didn't that didn't go the lion's way. Obviously the ball, a ball goes off your a defender's head and <laughs> into the hands of another, the other team. That's just pure unlock. I, I'm not going to criticize anyone on that. Um, maybe Philidor should be on the jugs machine with Amon Ra after practice, but that's, I guess it's not what you pay him to do, but you also don't pay him to take balls off the helmet. Yeah. Um, um, so it starts there. And then, I mean, you can criticize the defense for really getting lit up. And I know I'm actually going to give credit to Brock Purdy, who kind of added, I guess, an element that I have never seen out of him. And you can criticize the Lions for not adjusting. But it seemed like every time there was pressure or any time the pocket collapsed, he was able to get out of there. It felt like he damn near rushed for 100 yards. I'm not sure what his actual total was. But credit to him that he added a different dimension that you had never seen on an offense that already has so many dimensions. Um, uh, obviously, they got Kittle involved a little at the end, but he was a non-factor for much of this game. Yes, uh, Debo, Brandon IU, Christian McCaffrey. Um, it just kind of opened up the floodgates for them. But I'm also going to say, as, as bad as that defense was, uh, the run game went away in the second half. We weren't seeing the ball. Uh, and you just can't turn the ball over. I mean, you can call it a force fumble or not. It was obviously – I'm talking about Jameer Gibbs right after the Vildor head, head button, headbutting a football touchdown. Um, I don't care what you did in the first half. You just can't – as far as a momentum or a luck thing, I think the game was over right when that happened. I know the Lions were still winning at that point. But it just felt like all the little things that Detroit did so well in the first half were gone. And it looked like Dan Campbell was at the casino rolling the dice and just doubling down every time he lost. That's just what the series of events was in the second half. Yeah, uh, I'll start with the Brock Purdy thing because I know last week I sat here and said that I, I see a little bit of Jared Goff's pocket presence in the sense that at times he gets a little jumpy and – well, I, I did acknowledge that I think he's obviously a little bit more mobile than Goff because Goff is about as stationary as it gets in the National Football League. But yeah, you, like you say, I did not know that Brock Purdy had wheels like that. He had those two crucial scrambles. The first one, I mean, Debo Samuel prevented a touchdown for us. Not that it really yeah. mattered. It was a, if it was it happened two plays later or whatever it was. But Debo Samuel uh, having Purdy run into him, that stopped a touchdown on that scramble. And then the next one was kind of the big run to set up the touchdown that kind of 
kind of buried us when they went up by 10 towards the end. So I guess credit to Brock Purdy for that. Um, you mentioned uh, the running game going away. We'll talk about that. In the first half, we ran the ball 21 times for 148 yards. Now, I understand 42 of that came on one play. So if you want to say 20 for one for a, a little over 100, sure. That's five yards a carry. Guess what? That is exactly what we said we needed to do if you want to beat this team. First and 10, second and six, third and two, repeat. Keep them off the field and wear that defense down. They pushed them around at will in the first half. I, I remember yeah. I made I made some comments uh, in, in our watch party. I texted some of the friends. Panay Sewell is the best tackle in football. I, I am convinced of it. What he can do, the way he moves people – physically and there's nothing they can do about it nick bosa started the game on peninsula side and i think they realized oh shit i cannot do anything against this man let me go attack taylor decker in the left guard who's a backup that's how good peninsula is it completely changed what the 49ers were doing not to mention he moves like a freak yeah he can move but then, I will say the Nick Bosa thing, he did end up having two sacks after that. So. Yeah, but those were on Taylor Decker. Those are not on Penix. Yeah. That's what I'm right, saying. Right. They And first of all, that's an adjustment which our team refuses to make ever. Um, talking about the run game, second half, after we mentioned what we did in the first half, eight carries for, I think, 32 yards, which, by the way, that's not even bad not production. Bad. First yeah. and 10, second and six, third and two, repeat. Why did you go away from it? Ben Johnson, uh, I understand – I'll get into him later. I don't want to do too much at a time because I've got a shitload of notes. He lost his fucking mind as soon as Jameer Gibbs fumbled that football. You talk it was about even the- before that, though, because like, they came out after they got the first score and gave it right back to them. And it's just they weren't supp- supplementary. I'm trying to – I don't even think that's the right word. Uh, yeah, it is the right word, supplementary. They weren't – they. All you had to do in the second half is up 17 is keep the ball out of their hands. That's your job. Yeah, and match them. the ball. Keep them You're not match, even, them. match them, get points, or not even get points, just keep the ball out of their hands. And when they're giving up quick scores like that, the defense was in the second half. The offense wasn't able to stay on the field. And that was just as crucial as the defense giving up points. Yeah. Um, going from there, you mentioned the Vildor thing. The only thing I want to say about that in which – there was the flag thrown. I think we 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 kind of like half saw it, and they ended up picking it up and kind of just saying there was no flag. But I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that IU caught it, and they maybe just wanted to say, you know what, it's going to be a defensive penalty anyway. Let's just pick it up and let's just not call a flag. I think if that gets intercepted or if that's an incomplete pass, I I do think that stays DPI or some kind of illegal contact. Okay. Now, I, I, I'm just kind of stating what I saw and what it looked like because there, Vildor did kind of run into uh, Ayuk and kind of impede the. He kind of like slowed run. down as he kind. Of, I thought he did an okay job of looking like he was kind of like slowing down off. in his tracking, like in his. Tra- mm-hmm. By the way, he was tracking, but yeah, he slows down and kind of obviously impedes Ayuk from going forward into the ball and then obviously that actually helped IU because he was in a position to catch it off his helmet. Yeah. So yeah. No, and I mean that happens for, I mean like and that's one of those freak catches. I mean we've seen him in Super Bowls where like the ball's bobbling a couple times and Julian Edelman somehow snatches it before it hits the ground. It's like that was that was that was freak. What do you what you, you put your hands in here, what are you supposed to do? The very next 
The very next play after they score their touchdown, you mentioned the Jameer Gibbs fumble. What the fuck is that? Well, I don't know. I don't know if Goff turned the wrong way, or I think Gibbs kind of kind of took off the wrong direction and then gets the hand up but never actually secures it, gets it punched out. And before we know, we blink and oh shit, it's 24-24. Uh-oh. Followed by three and out after that. It, yep. it was just and then that the worst part about the three and out is that's when you need the run game is you are getting killed momentum wise. Let's let's be okay. And granted that that also did coincide with the second Josh Reynolds drop. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it was a oh my god three terrible play calls. Reynolds was wide open, couldn't execute for the second time. We'll get to the first one later just because that was kind of more of a specific decision, and we'll get to Dan on that. Reynolds picked a terrible time to have the worst game of his season probably even career. And that's what's, uh, it, for to me, it's a little unfortunate because Reynolds has been very stable for us. He has the rapport with Goff from there all the way back to the LA Rams days. And that's why he got those routes. And then I think after the second one, it kind of turns to, wait a minute, like this guy's having a stinker. Maybe we let Jamison Williams run some of those routes. And you kind of saw that with the, with the last second touch or the last minute touchdown. You get to the, I mean, we can talk about the defense. Um, Aiden Hutchinson did not record a single statistic and I'm not going to kill him too. I'm not going to kill him too much because he did have a fantastic, he did have a fantastic end of the season, eight sacks in four games made some plays, but if you're supposed to be the superstar of the team, you got to do what Nick Bosa does. You got to go find two sacks out from somewhere. And it was also funny that on the second Brock Purdy scramble, Hutchinson gets to throw an arm out, but because yeah. he's got these T-Rex arms, he can't actually grab him or impede him in any way. It just kind of freezes right past the air that his arm makes when he tries to catch him. So not great from Hutch. I mean, we can talk about uh, we talk about Vildor and that that just ugly play, but Vildor sucks. Cam Sutton is Ugh. atrocious. He he just he just chases people. There's no coverage there. The only play he made all game is when the pass got thrown in his direction, but it wasn't actually his guy because he Kittle was tackle. Yeah. yeah, and he made the tackle on on the on kind of that out route. That was the only play he made all game. Everything else was him five yards behind whatever receiver was catching a pass. He's pathetic. Do we want to talk about CJ Gardner Johnson? Yeah, I was gonna say uh, he's probably next on the list of those little besides wave at fans in the second quarter. Um, and talk his shit, and it's just I don't know. You, you, it, it's hard to defend at that point because, especially the way it ended. I know. Did you see Debo kind of clap back at him at the end of the game? I hope Debo took a shit on his head. I, uh, I don't even think it's impossible. I don't think it's hard to defend CJ Gardner. I think it's impossible to. There's a reason why the Saints traded away for a box of candy. And then there's a reason why the Philadelphia Eagles did not want to pay him and in ch- instead chose to pay a 600-year-old Darius Slay and a piece of shit James Bradbury. There's a reason why the Detroit Lions are probably not going to re-sign this guy, and I hope to God they don't. He is one of our one of our good friends made this analogy, and it's perfect. He's the Patrick Beverly of the NFL. He talks yeah. all this shit. It impacts nothing in the win column. He plays a less than important position. He doesn't even do it that highly. You want to know some fun stats? The Detroit Lions gave up over 325 yards passing, I think, six times all season. Four of those were after C.J. Gardner-Johnson came back from injury. 
<laughs> they were playing better without him. And then he comes back with his stupid personal feuds from a year ago and his dumbass shit-talking of a quarterback who, why do you care about Baker Mayfield? If you really think he's that bad, don't acknowledge him. He got lucky on that interception when he picks off Baker that he doesn't get flagged for taunting because he, he had to go back there and flip the ball back. And we've seen that get called. Then in this game, no one's gonna, no one talks about it, or not many people have talked about it because it still ended up being a touchdown for us. He cost us 25 yards on the Rodrigo interception with his stupid yeah. cheap shot at Devo Samuel. And again, he's lucky that we got away with a touchdown because if that ends up being a field goal or God forbid a punt, he's directly responsible for that. We had the ball at their 20, and his dumbass personal feud, which he cannot get out of his own head, gets us back to the 45. He's pathetic. Anyway, the fan at the at the at the 49ers fans in the second yes. quarter just that's, that's also hilarious. All time SOL moment. Yeah, uh, that's uh, what you, again, that's and that's part of the guy whose personal interests are in his mind above the goals of the team. That's why he doesn't ever win anything important. Because he sits here and he hates Debo Samuel and he sees a bunch of 49er red in the fans. So, oh, I'm going to taunt Debo. Watch this. Goodbye, guys. I am going to be incredible. And, and the other thing that I think is like really nice is I don't think he's got any fans left in this fan base. I know he was kind no. of, like, he was kind of our, not necessarily the big free agent signing because he was only on a one year deal, but I think he was the one that most people were excited for. We thought we were getting this uber talented guy. In, I understand he tore his pectoral. He didn't ask for that to happen, so maybe the season goes differently if it doesn't. But even then, he's shit-talking dudes while he's in in rehab. What are you doing? You're a civilian at that point. <laughs> and I, I just love the fact that I think he's built or burnt out all of the goodwill in this city, and I hope he's gone. Uh, he's the one that I think I would be surprised if they sign again. Of all the free agent names I saw – on Twitter today that the Lions have to sign. I, I'd also argue he's probably, besides maybe like Vitae or Jonah Jackson, he's probably the most important as far as uh, actual ability, I guess you could say, yeah. um, that we have to worry about as far as free agents. Um, yeah. but I, would, I would say it goes Jonah one, then probably two, CJ. But the, again, the thing with CJ is, they played better without him. When Kirby and Melifanu got to play safety and Brian Branch took took up the, the, the nickel role, they played better without him. Yeah. So he's a luxury we don't need. So if that means saving the 10-ish million dollars that you'd probably have to pay to lock him down for a long-term deal or another one-year prove it, save it. Get him out. Let, let him become someone else's problem. Uh, I, I, what's next? The decision. Who's next on this list? Uh, let's, uh, let's, no, we'll, we'll, we'll do that last. It's the head coach. He goes last. Let's, I want to talk about Ben Johnson. Um, obviously all signs point to him leaving and yes, that'll be a big loss. But at the same time, I think there has been a little bit of maybe, I don't want to call it revisionist history, but I think there's been a little bit of glazing from this fan base because as great as Ben Johnson is, you don't get to go. Wait for it. Downs, fumble, three and out, downs, 
garbage time TD against the uh, the prevent defense that the 49ers are playing. You don't get to do that. Not to mention in the Rams game, he put up his great offense, only put up three points in the second half. So this boy... Not to mention the, the call on fourth down, too. The calls are... Eh. The I'll get to the I'll get to the thing with burning the timeout too because again I don't know whose fault that was because oh, Dan yeah. is part of the offense. Yeah. But I think that's yeah, it's on the head coach, but yeah. No, um for as boy genius as Ben Johnson is, his offense comes out in the third quarter and does dick very, very often. For a team that runs the ball is probably as good as anyone in the league, not named the Baltimore Ravens, and we'll get to them. Why do you give up on the run? And he does it time and time. This is not an isolated incident. We were one of the worst third-quarter teams in football all season because he mm-hmm. has this great game plan, and I don't know if he expects coordinators to adjust to him, so he just magically gives up on it to try and be one step ahead of him in some 8D chess move, but he gives up on the run in the second half every single week. <laughs> we flamed the Buccaneers' play calling. Thankfully, they're an inferior team. You meant now. Wait, I talk about it. That run with a minute to go, which ends up burning your timeout and ending your season. What is that? Now, and again, mm. I don't know who that's on because Dan Campbell is kind of I don't say brag, but he's talked about how he is a lot more involved on offense than he is on defense. He lets Aaron Glenn do his thing, and he is part of the offense, and they kind of do the things he wants to do, and maybe Ben Johnson just calls some plays. Whoever is running the ball on third and goal. When you know that a timeout ends your season because you you can't get the ball back afterwards unless you recover an onside kick, which has become irrecoverable in the NFL yeah. with the new rules. What are you doing? I, I do. I, do, I place most of that on, like you said, Dan Campbell play, plays somewhat of a role in the offense. And I I guess Ben Johnson should. My impression is, is like Ben Johnson goes, okay, we're running this. Uh, is that is this what you want right here, Dan? And Dan, Dan has to go yes or no. And so it's I guess you could say it's on both of them. I put more of the blame on the head coach, obviously the offensive coordinator, but he should have never had that chalked up for that to be a decision for Dan to say yes or no to, and for Dan to just go yeah okay let's run the ball there is in conjunction with the play that happened I don't know three minutes earlier a fireable offense. Obviously I, I say that half-heartedly joking yeah Yeah, it doesn't mean he's going to get fired but it is something where you question do you know what football is and do you know how to manage a game because you don't look like it now you mentioned the play earlier let's let we talked about the first decision in the first half let's talk about the second one so the first field goal in the second half that they pass up on um thoughts on that sorry you cut out there for a second okay um i was gonna say so we talked about the first decision in the first half Let's talk about the first field goal of the second half and passing up on it. What yeah. are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I'm okay. I'm I can live with that one at that point in the game. I think um, I don't agree with it. I personally am not the biggest analytics guy. I I like taking points in in situations where I think momentum warrants taking points. Um, and maybe I am a little bit more on the passive side. And, but I am going to support the the decision in general that it, at that point in the game, it was something I could live with because it's Dan Campbell 
And that's what he's done all season. And it's worked a lot of the season. And they they obviously are ready and prepared for that type of situation. Now, I hate the that being the all-encompassing argument for every time he chooses to go for it. With that specific situation, I'm okay with it. But I think sometimes a lot of Detroit this year wants to just – that's the default thing whenever he does something and it doesn't work out. At a certain time, just being aggressive and that being your way of coaching uh, in certain situations of the game is literally the wrong option. Literally makes you a bad coach. Literally is not managing a game. There's a difference, and it's a fine line when you want to play aggressive and trust analytics between knowing the game, the situation of the game, and just looking at numbers. Just looking at it's like Moneyball way back when. They A's forever. In a 162-game season, the analytics and all that money ball crap was going to work and get you to the playoffs. But did those A's teams ever make a deep run into the playoffs? No, because at the end of the day, it's the in-game, nine innings of baseball. Who are the best players on the field that actually matter? Not some analytics. And that's where I think – I mean, obviously, I'm kind of voicing my strong dislike for the second one. But that's where I think the the argument of, oh, Dan's aggressive and that's – just allowed to be a default response to everything he does when it doesn't work out. It's just not correct when judging a coach. Yeah. Um, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. We talk about the situation and, you know, analytics doesn't account for momentum because you can't quantify momentum. Right. And in a situation where you have the ability to go up by 21 points um, and you, you, you want to call that a kill shot. I again, I get it, quote unquote, because that that is that is 21 points. That's a lot to come back from. But guess what? You know what the difference between 17 and 21 is? Zero. It's still three possessions. So why don't you take the thing? And this is from what I personally do. I understand his reasoning. I don't agree with it, but I understand that. That's all I ask to do is I ask that coaches make decisions that are understandable and defendable. The difference between 17 points and 21 points is zero. It's three possessions. And you want to talk about kind of always sticking to what you do. Dan Campbell, as we've always said, Mr. Aggressive himself. You want to know who's Mr. Conservative and it's cost him in the past? Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan once had a 28-3 to lead in the Super Bowl and then stopped running his offense. How'd that go for Kyle Shanahan? Uh-oh. Kyle Shanahan had a lead in a Super Bowl against the Chiefs and then stopped calling his offense. How'd that go for Kyle Shanahan? So look to the guy across the sideline from you. Sometimes you have to you ha- you can't just be the one trick pony because a it makes you predictable. And you know what? Yeah. Like we talked about it with the fake punts for the Lions, where at one point like the defense is they're not going to change. And you saw it this game: the Lions line up for a punt. The 49ers kept their defense on the field. They're like, okay, do it, take it away. But you're not going to fake it on us. If you always participate in the same, bash your head in with the same style, you're going to get caught out. And then that brings us to the second one, where he gets caught out. This one, I think this is where I say, I don't agree with it, and I don't even understand it. You're down three with seven minutes to go against a team that was all over you in the second half. They move the ball at will. Why are you not going to tie that game up so that the next time you do or don't touch the ball, you can tie it up again? 
Yeah, I don't literally think there's an analytic or anything that excuses that one. Fourth and three from the 31, 30-yard line, whatever it was, in that situation, all the moment you mentioned the momentum of the game and how it had been going in the second half, and it's literally as simple as this. Being down means when the clock strikes zero, you'll lose. When the score is the same, when the clock strikes zero, you don't lose. You get another chance to play football. And to not accept that, not understand the condition is not an NFL level coach. And it's inexcusable. It's I don't care about any aggressiveness. I love the predictableness you said about it, that just being plainly aggressive like that just makes you predictable and makes those being aggressive gives you even less of a chance. Let's, so let's factor in those analytics. Right. If I'm going to go for it every time and everybody knows I'm going to go for it, everyone understands the trends, what I like to run out of that. Now the analytics are even worse and the analytics don't account for that type of stuff. No, um, it was kind of funny because now how much of this is just a, a damn good play call in the moment or how much of this is like you mentioned, we've seen them do this exact type of player, this exact type of situation 25 times in the season before the line of the liners, the 49ers lined up in what appeared to be man coverage. And Jared Goff thought it was man coverage. And then he snaps the ball, and it turns out it's zone coverage. And he shat his pants. And he rolls out, and he finds no one, throws a stupid crossbody throw that was never getting caught, and uh-oh, we've given the ball back to a freight train. That was – and the, you, the analytics thing, the analytics – don't I, I don't at least I don't think I don't they, I think they account for what you what you get per drive I don't think they account for like you said what your end goal is I I understand the argument of seven is bigger than three I do get it I've said it before especially in college you're not going to beat the great teams kicking three very often in college but guess what three is bigger than zero and in a situation where you're up by fourteen. You know what? The risk of three being bigger than zero is is okay to take to go for the risk of seven being bigger than three. Because you're up by 14. You've got a quarter and a half after to figure it out and save your ass if it goes wrong. But when you're down by three, the risk of three being bigger than zero is a lot more than seven being bigger than three. And I, I do want to point out, because I, I, the one thing we haven't said yet is, is it's not a get just because they line up to kick a field goal is not a guarantee. Ask Jake yes. Moody. Doesn't mean it's going to go in. But I I'm of the opinion that lining up, snapping the ball, kicking the ball is a higher percentage play than running your play, which, as we found out, is what seven. I'm sh- there's been a million different stats thrown around by the Dan bots so far this uh this afternoon and this today to try and defend what he did statistically. It's not just that just because you get the first down doesn't mean you scored a touchdown. You still got to finish right. your drive. Right. What happens if you get called for holding? Uh-oh. And then you get sacked. Uh-oh. Now you're farther away than you were before. So I think when in the second moment when you have the ability to tie the game, not even trying was – It's a, we talk about – I used the word a lot last week. It's malpractice. Running the ball at the three-yard line is malpractice when you need to save timeouts to keep your season alive. That was just – that's the drunk pilot part of my analogy. Just no situational awareness from this man. 
He all he knows is hit me on 18. I'm splitting kings. That's all he knows. He's a freak. Back to the fourth down thing, too. And you mentioned you make a great point of you don't know you're going to score a touchdown. Regardless of how that drive was going to end, you were probably going to, whether you kicked the field goal there or say took another two or is it three minutes off the clock to score a touchdown? That was, you were going to get the ball one more time. So you could, and I think you've already said this now that I'm, I'm making this point of, you could have either been down with a chance to tie the game again, or even if they don't score a chance to win the game, as opposed to not getting it. And now you're down and you're playing catch up. And essentially once the 49ers score that the game's over, because now it's a two score game and you only have one more chance with the ball. So, yeah. and then I do think the timeout, the running out from the three yard line is arguably the worst of the, of it the three. No, it's, three it's absolutely statements. the worst because mathematically, you're ending the game. And I, I just talked about it with up 14. You know what? You don't get the field goal. You can still stop them. You know, you can. You call that timeout. They mathematically ended the game as soon as they ran that ball. They ended it. Yeah. And. One of the things that was uh, that was pretty funny, I remember – actually, I, I vividly remember talking about this last week was me asking the question of Dan Campbell has been conservative so far in the playoffs because in his mind he had a better team than his opponents and he didn't need – or he didn't feel the need to go gung-ho. And I, I, I threw out the question, is that going to continue or is he going to revert back to his lunatic ways that he pulled off in the regular season time and time again? And he answered it. Yeah. He went, and you know what? At least I'll give the man some credit. It's kind of like the Connor Stallions thing. At least he owns it. He's like, I don't regret it one bit. If you're going to be an idiot, at least at least die being the idiot. Yeah. And uh, you either die a hero long enough to see yourself live long enough to see yourself be the villain. Yeah, I, I don't think we've quite gotten there yet. That I, <laughs> I, I at least I hope not. Uh, I do. I, I do. I want to bring up something else with the Lions. Um. To me, Dan's best decision that I, to be honest, I didn't really understand it because maybe this is a mental thing and he's trying to get his team ready. But when he came out there and was like, yeah, I told my team this might be our only shot. What yeah. Do you, like, I don't know if that's a mental preparation thing. And it's like he wants to set him up for an entire offseason of jugs machines at you, Josh Reynolds. Or he wants to set up his corners for an entire season of let's not lose the other guy. I don't know. I don't know why he did it, but he's absolutely correct. There's absolutely yeah. no guarantee you ever get back there because guess what? You no longer get to sneak up on people. You don't. I understand that a lot of people came into the season thinking, "Oh, the Lions will be good." It's one thing thinking that. It's another thing seeing, "Oh, this is the reigning NFC Championship appearance team. This is this is what we now know is one of the best teams in the league. So now we have to give them the be the best shot that we have." You now have to play a harder schedule. You now have to play in a tougher division. The Minnesota Vikings presumably are not going to have to have their quarterback die in the middle of next season, so they have to bring in an astronaut. If he's not a 49er. Are you talking about Kirk? Yep. Well, I mean, I'm not even saying that. Like, I just mean from the perspective, whoever the quarterback is for the Vikings day one, it's Won't not going to be – it's not – it could It could be – I don't think it'll – did you say Nick Mullins? I said it, it won't be Nick Mullins. Okay, yeah. But whoever it is, it's going to be with the idea that we can compete with them, and you can't just hope that that guy tears his Achilles again. That's not a strategy. They're going to be better than they were last year. 
The Green Bay Packers will be better than they were last year. The Chicago Bears will be better than they were last year, regardless of what they do at the position. I know a lot of people like to say, oh, well, they're going to have a rookie quarterback. Well, every person who claims they're going to have a rookie quarterback is the same person who thinks that Justin Fields isn't even an NFL-level QB, which means by their own thought process, they can only get better at the position. And they still have the number nine pick. And they still have $80 million in cap space. So the Chicago Bears will be better next season. This idea that you're guaranteed to be back next year doesn't exist. It's not it, – there is no – or there is no guarantee – there's no guarantee you're healthy next season. You know what? As much as we got banged up with Houston missing time and a safety missing time, our quarterback didn't get hurt. And in this past season, no one's quarterback was healthy. Mm. Our offensive line, yeah, they had some people miss some time, but largely the pieces were there consistently. Panay Sewell played every game. Amon Ross St. Brown, I think, played every game. He might have missed one but he was largely healthy compared to some of the other better receivers in football. Ask Cooper Cup, ask Justin Jefferson, ask Jamar Chase. This notion that, oh, did Aiden Hutchinson miss time? Well, he did by spirit because sometimes he just didn't play the game. He decided to take breaks, but you're, you're, there's no guarantee you're ever that healthy again. Ask the Rams. They won a Super Bowl very next season. Whole team falls apart, and we benefited from that because we got a high pick from it. But here's another thing. You don't get to pick top five anymore. So these picks that you were hitting on and these great core plate players that you got the last three years, a lot, some of those, not a lot of them, because I know Brad Holmes is sensational, did deeper parts of the draft, but some of those guys, Panay Sewell, seventh overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson, two. You had six last year and you traded down. So you're not getting this blue chip player anymore. Mm-hmm. This notion that, oh, we're Garrett, we'll be back, guys. Like, let's be happy. There's absolutely no guarantee that happens. Ask the Cam Newton Panthers how often you get back. Ask the Matt Ryan Falcon how, Falcons how often you get back. Ask the Minnesota Vikings with Stephon Diggs how often you get back. Why don't Why don't we ask the Josh Allen Bills how often you get back? There's or the been Mike two, two teams Titans. in our lifetime. Two teams in our lifetime have been able to consistently get back. Yeah, and that's the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs. And they have the two the other thirty teams back. in the league. No, they, nothing. They, and they have the two greatest quarterbacks to ever play the sport yeah. and two of the greatest coaches to ever play the sport. So that tells you what it takes to cons- consistently be there. Why don't you ask the Saxonville Jaguars of 2017 how easy it is to get back? Now, yeah. I understand that team had culture issues and they all ended up getting traded within a year anyway. So maybe that's not the best example. But ask them how easy it is to get back. They're still trying to get back. It's eight years later. So... And again, I understand I'm nitpicking here. Like you said, I'm just picking the guys that didn't get back. The Eagles have kind of been there with multiple cores. Now the 49ers have kind of consistently yeah. done it. Yeah. But are you are you going to be them? Can you guarantee that? Do you have Nick no. Bosa? No. Now you've got pieces around you that can emulate what he might do or you could emulate that type of success. But there's no guarantee. Because here's the thing. This team's going to get very expensive very quickly. Jared Goff is going to get a raise. Amon Ross St. Brown is a top five receiver and is going to get paid like one. So that was one of the things that I stressed so much at the trade deadline was next year is not guaranteed. And I hope to God I'm wrong, but I'm so scared of what's going to happen. You don't get your coordinators anymore. You're losing one of yeah. them. Yeah, that's the part that I'm, I think I'm most scared about is what, 
what that'll look like. No, I'm obviously we kind of went off on Ben Johnson in that second half, but uh, he's largely been successful in two seasons with Detroit. And especially in in a place where Dan Campbell is so big on culture and it seems like that's what's been really behind all this is culture to lose a face of your coaching staff like that. It's going to be a culture change, as they say. And will they adapt? We don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I know that there was a lot of yelling here and a lot of passion, and it's just because we're frustrated because there was absolute – you threw the game away. You had the game in your hands. You threw it away. It wasn't just, a, oh, you thought you could have won it. You should have won it, but you didn't. Yeah. And now we we now we get a nice little off season of who knows what. Um, this doesn't mean that we're going back to six and eleven. No, it doesn't. But I'm not going to sit here and paint rainbows about a team because I know it's not that easy. I, I that's really the last I have to say about the Lions and kind of the NFC. Um, title game. Yeah, let's move on to the AFC. Yeah, I don't know if you have something else you want to add to it, but... No, we can move on to the AFC. Uh, The Baltimore Ravens lose Kansas City Chiefs, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid and company. Do it again. I believe that's four Super Bowls in six seasons. I think five. Is that the right number? Five in six seasons. Um, four and five, I believe. Four um, and five. Okay. I think the they're Bengals, inevitable. The Bengals. I mean, year it wasn't them. Right. They're inevitable. I don't know. We said the same thing last week when they beat the Bills on a night where it felt like they really weren't able to get consistent offense. Travis Kelsey has just been amazing in this playoff, and I know you yelled at me for calling him washed I didn't earlier in the I year. That, I think that we became victim of the. He's so good on his own that when he takes a slight step backwards, yeah. we're suddenly calling him dead. His dead is still better than everyone else. That's all yeah. I really wanted to say. He goes for another two touchdowns and 100 yards in this one. Um, I think the biggest story for me in this one, and I'm a victim of the storyline, this player, um, even though he's probably going to win an MVP award, deserved it for his play this year, is Lamar Jackson. We said last week, we said you, Lamar Jackson, nobody talks about Lamar Jackson in that AFC playoff. Look at all the quarterbacks in the AFC. All those guys are in the AFC. You hear Burrow, Allen. Obviously, Mahomes is the dog and deserves to be, will be forever. He's the greatest quarterback to ever do it. Um, what you, Herbert, you don't hear about Lamar. And it's strange. We said it was strange. But maybe this is why. Yep was awful and he for all the criticism of he doesn't have weapons well guess what mark andrews came back didn't matter he got odell beckham jr this year i know he's past his prime didn't matter they drafted zay flowers it didn't matter the defense only gave up 17 points to the best quarterback to ever do it it didn't matter some guys like patrick mahomes can play their b game but still find a way to win. It's what Tom Brady was so good at for decades. Exactly. And Lamar Jackson is not that quarterback. No, um, I'm I'm glad you bring up the Brady thing because um, a lot of people maybe forget about Brady's like wins. He wasn't going out there every weekend and dropping 400 yards on people. He won games with ugly, ugly stat lines and he just did what he needed to do. Um, 
to talk about the game specifically, I'll get into the Lamar stuff. I just want to kind of cover what we actually saw. The first couple of drives screamed all-time classic. Yeah, you had, I so you had yeah. two touchdowns and three drives, crazy plays by Lamar kind of escaping the pocket or escaping the sack, stepping up in the pocket, finding Zay Flowers deep. That reception to himself was crazy. He had some scrambling ability. But that's all the that's all the Ravens ever really had on offense was these these one-off chunk plays. I think I talked about it with the way the Texans moved the ball against Baltimore the week prior, where there was never a consistent flow. It was just maybe something crazy happens because we got an athlete at quarterback. Um, full credit to the Chiefs' defense. Um, I mean, I know you mentioned he played awful. I don't think he necessarily played awful up until that interception. That interception was terrible. Oh, God. But, yeah, I thought he was okay. Guess what? Okay doesn't cut it. Okay yeah. doesn't beat Patrick Mahomes. And that's where I kind of said last week is, this is the measuring stick game for if you want to get held in that upper echelon of quarterbacks, not just in the AFC, in the NFL, and he failed it again. Every narrative around Lamar Jackson that we've always said, he can't play in the postseason because he struggles with passing. He's only a front runner. If he gets down two scores, he's screwed. All of that came true. Yeah, Went down 17-7, and then he just sat there with his chin on the ground. <sighs> and I'm not going to sit here and solely blame it on him either because guess what? No. That offense and that offensive play calling, for a team that led the league in rushing, they had – I'm sorry, I got I to gotta find the exact statistic. For a team that led the, led the league in rushing, they had 14 carries, eight of which were Lamar. You cannot go into a football game and carry the ball six times with your running backs. And it might have even been five, because I think Zay Flowers might have taken a handoff on an end around. You cannot do that, because yeah. that's not winning football. You, If you can't run the ball, ask Isaiah Pacheco. Now, he, didn't, he wasn't particularly efficient. I think he averaged less than three yards a carry. But he got 70 yards on the ground. He punched in a ball. He didn't only have six carries. They they realized what they needed to do and they killed the clock. Not not to mention that you you were down by a maximum of ten points the entire game. It wasn't like you had like there was this urgency for three quarters that they were down big and had to throw the ball around the yard. No, you still could have ran your offense for two and a half quarters and tried to get back in this game the way you have all season, and they just decided not to. Yeah, it's no, it's like Ben Johnson in the third quarter. Full credit to the defense, though, um, holding the Chiefs to only 17 points. Then for yeah. me, the biggest thing was after the Lamar strip, strip sack at 14 to seven, they hold the Chiefs to a, uh, to a, a to a turnover on downs. When I think that was one of the times where Andy Reid, who's typically I think on the more safe side, kind of went for it and backfired, and all the momentum was back with the Ravens. And once again, Lamar comes out there with his chin on the ground. No idea what he's doing. Um, on the Kansas City side, you you mentioned it, the Mahomes-Kelsey combination. It, it's backyard football cheating. Every time Mahomes needs to scramble, Kelsey finds a way to get open. And he's he just has that trait beyond the obvious route running, beyond the obvious hands, beyond the obvious mis mismatches. He just has this knack where as soon as the play breaks down and as soon as he realizes his quarterback's in trouble – he cuts his route and he just does whatever he can or whatever he needs to do 
to give Patrick Mahomes a window to get him the ball. And that's one of the that's one of the best things that I can say about Travis Kelsey is that skill. Not many people have it. I feel like Amon Ra at times has it to kind of bail out Goff. Cooper Cup, I feel like had it for or probably still has it, but he's got to stay healthy to show it. There's just some of those guys beyond the obvious route running. They have that next step of I can get back to the football and save my quarterback from throwing it away or getting hit. Um, I mean, Andy Reid, we know what he is. The Rasheed Rice trust is continuing to build. You see it with his targets per game, kind of basically being up there with Kelsey. Pacheco's Pacheco. You mentioned the Mahomes stat line not wowing you, but that's that's all he needed to do was to game manage, and that's one of the great things is just because he's Mahomes doesn't mean he has to he has to go for a three hundred and twenty yard performance and four TDs. He can do it, but he doesn't need to. He, what he needs to do is win the football game, and that's what he continues to do. Um, that team is sensational. I hate their guts because <laughs> I think they're spoiled children who've never heard the word no. But you know what? At least they make their own luck. They go out there and they beat everyone else. So kudos to the Chiefs. Um, kudos to the 49ers. I kinda I'll kinda let let you get the last words, but I don't have too much more to say about this, these football games. Yeah, no, I guess I as far as moving forward into the Super Bowl, we'll do a better breakdown next week. But it is just too it's too franchise, especially get it's such a weird feeling that like with the Lions getting so close, it's just like I don't really I this is probably the least amount of excitement I've had for a Super Bowl matchup in forever. And these are two, arguably you could have looked and said, these are two of the best teams in the league going in. It should be an exciting matchup with its fair share of storylines. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't have the same buzz around it off the top of my head. I think give me the chiefs. I just think it's just, they're the Patriots of our twenties and thirties. And as the Patriots were the Patriots of our tens and twenties, so yeah i mean i'll 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 probably be taking the 49ers again i'll I'll bet on the roster versus the quarterback but we we will talk about that next week um from a football perspective i don't i have nothing else to add i don't want to continue to piss myself off well let's get to michigan state basketball because that really makes us feel great yeah not much to add i guess on that front um one game this past week we'll quickly run through it here but game is sorry to pay off say game is a very generous term for what michigan state did they, they, they yeah. didn't play a game yeah they didn't play a game this game was never really close um i don't really know what to start Madi Sissoko and Malik call were in foul trouble the entire game uh it felt like he was running a lineup that had Carson Cooper and Jackson Kohler on at the same time, and it just never worked. He got two points again out of the five spot on the floor. Uh, I mean, Tyson Walker had an off night. I think he was like 4 of 14 for shooting. That's not going to be a winning combo. Uh, I think really A.J. Hogard had 13 or 14 points that kind of led the way. Uh, Trey Holloman played a lot more minutes than he was used to. Jay Nakins refuses to play a complete game. Um I don't know. You can't, again, you can't read too much into it because uh, it was a tough environment to go in and play a very good Wisconsin team. That Wisconsin team is now six and one in the big 10, I think at this point or seven and one in the big 10 mm-hmm. um, there. I don't think they've lost the game at home this year that really they're only, their only loss in the big 10 is an absolute stinker to Penn. They got killed by Penn state who might be the only team worse, uh, might be the worst team in the big 10 besides Michigan. Um but 
at the same time, you can hang your head on every single loss this year for this team because of the expectation that we did have. We expected to be winning these types of games this year, and it's just not happening. Um, I don't know. It's hard to get – when they only have one game in a week, it's really hard to get two, I guess, fired up about yep. where they're at. It was a game I think I, I expected them to lose. I didn't think they would get blown out quite like they did. Uh, down, obviously, like 11 at the half, and then – whatever the final score was, it was ugly at the end. Uh, I believe they play two games this week. They got Michigan and Minnesota, I believe. Uh, those are two games you should win. Obviously, you got to go on the road in the Big Ten against Minnesota. That's never a guarantee, especially this year. Uh, it's it's another year of seemingly like there's seven, seven seeds and that you can lose to any, any night, uh, besides probably Purdue and Wisconsin. And I would say even Illinois is probably kind of falling out of that upper echelon tier. Uh, they kind of look mortal after uh, the buzz behind Taryn Shannon going, being out indefinitely for the season. Um, they got a couple good wins after that, but now, now they've kind of come back down to earth and you can see that they're not the same team without him. Um, they do have some nice pieces and they'll be is fine. Back? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is, is he back? I thought I saw I thought I saw some uh, thing that he got a restraining order against the suspension, so like they did they just can't enforce it right now. But in any case, I was just gonna say from a Michigan State thing, he did he did, he did play in their last game. The only thing I really have to say is um, at no point in the night do you lead, and I don't want to keep re- rehashing the oh my god we got out hustled and oh my god our half court offense right. is not consistent. So. Yeah, you're right. When there's only one game, it's kind of even tough to talk about trends because it was, there's like, you only talk about the one game. So right. I don't have too much more to say about this one. It's just it is what it is. But it did happen. We are Michigan State basketball fans, so we had to mention it. Yeah, I guess I'll end with like looking ahead into the, the February schedule, I guess you could say. Basically, until they get into March, yep. um, they're, they're going to play Michigan and they play Maryland, sorry, this week. Then they play Minnesota and Maryland at home. Uh, Maryland's no gimme for sure, but they're, they'll play Michigan, Maryland, Minnesota, Illinois at home, Penn State, Michigan again, Iowa, and then Ohio State at home. You really should only lose one game in that stretch. Yeah, I I, I kind of go off that. I, I was looking at some of those uh, ESPN predictors, and obviously those things are only predictors, but they're favored in every single one of those games. So make sure you take care of your business and win those games. Yeah, I, I think you got to come out of that. I think I just named eight games. Uh, if you could come out of that six and two, they would be 18 and 10 at that point. Uh, I think you did kind of have a solidified spot in the tournament. A spot in the tournament on lock. Because uh, then you end with Purdue at Purdue, loss, uh, Northwestern, who is a solid team this year and, and they seems always to always give us trouble. And then Indiana at Indiana. And Indiana's another team that's kind of like us can look like a top 25 team one night and then look like a, a team that belongs in the NIT the next night. So you just never know. Yeah, I completely agree there. Um, yeah, I don't have too much more to say here. Uh, obviously the bulk of it was the Detroit lions. Uh, I'm after that shit show, I'm not going to end us with, with, at least with my usual. So I'm just going to say thanks for listening to anyone who made it this far. And I turn it over to you for the last words. Yeah, I guess it's uh, it's go green these days now that the season's over. Let's hope that uh, it still can figure it out here. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks for making this far into the video.